Welcome to Plague House. My name is Tom Savage. Uh, it has been a very weird week um, where I have been sick as a dog for the last three or four days and uh, so was my fiance. And our little baby was, was fine until yesterday when she started to get a temperature. Had to take her to the doctor and all that other stuff. So look, it just, it comes with the territory when it comes to uh, sickness and when it comes to this time of year um, because I think it's just one of those one of those things where it just becomes disease central crashes and everything that is in the crash comes home and apparently that's what happened to me um, so you didn't ask this in the TRK mailbag but that's just where I am at the moment just um, I am hopped up on diurolite on whatever is in that little sachet over there that I just drank and uh, yeah so that doesn't mean I can't still hold a microphone and, and try not to make t- as much noise with it as I did in the last time I did. So, yeah, let's have a, a look at some of these TRK mailbag questions. And some of them are very specific to the last week um, of, of news that's been in uh, the rugby news. And I want to try and get to that as much as possible. Um, the big questions that I've gotten in from multiple people, I think there was maybe 15 or 16 um emails and, and or messages on Patreon about this was the scrum. Last week, um, South Africa beat England, powered by the scrummaging of Ox and Che. And in the aftermath of that game, um, myself and my fiance were in the strand watching that, had a few points uh, watching the game and thoroughly enjoyed it, by the way. <laughs> Having a few points and watching the game is good fun. Who knew? Uh, we were watching the game afterwards and we were or, or the, the coverage afterwards and Matt Williams and Rob Carney were speaking about how the scrum shouldn't be as important as what it was in that game and a lot of the questions I've gotten have ar- uh, they, they've risen from that conversation so I'm just going to go through the general tone of the questions as I go so the spectrum of questions that I answer will go in the conversation I'm going to have now with you so the first couple of questions that I got were like from a few of my South African subscribers which are basically going why are Ireland whinging so fucking much in this World Cup and like genuinely like I don't think the Irish rugby bubble itself is whinging I think what you're seeing is a lot of the content that's created by Virgin Media and Off The Ball, who have a lot of the same people on their shows, um, getting shared and reshared because it's just ridiculously negative. And the people that they have doing it, Matt Williams, Rob Carney, uh, a couple of other of those guys as well, more power to them, more power to them, they're off getting paid. No, I've, I've got no problem with that. The way that they communicate their points, I've, I've found is is obnoxious. And that adds to the virality of what they're talking about. Um, the way that they can, that they express some of their points with regards to, you know, criticism of the South Africa. And, 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 and to be fair, a lot of this comes from the fact that they're criticizing South African rugby for the most part. That's where a lot of the virality has come from because South Africans as, as people on, on, on Twitter certainly um, 
latch on to negativity very very quickly and, and you know again monster fans we do this as well so you know i'm, I'm not saying anything there that I, I don't and haven't seen myself in 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 my own fan base but looking at and, and by my own i mean not my fan base specifically but being part of a monster fan base um so that has added a lot to the virality of it and, and that can sometimes incentivize a repeat okay because a lot of the metrics that they would have gotten um, on videos that they've posted on Twitter or that have been posted on Twitter of them um, have racked up millions of views. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate into income for them or, in the case of Off The Ball, translate into subscriptions for their, their member program. But it does, from a, a, a bare, basic level, show any sponsor or any anybody who's who's looking, who wants to see is number going up <laughs> with regards to social media metrics yes number is going up number going up is good and that's really the only way that they look at it okay so if you're wondering why it's keep keep it keeps on coming out that's one part of it right the other part of it is is that this is kind of the there is a sort of an excuse generation machine for irish rugby that that is present and we mostly see it on virgin media um, I think RT in in this World Cup cycle, their coverage of of Irish rugby and world and the World Cup in general has been infinitely better, infinitely better. And when I look at why that is, I think they're not afraid to criticise Irish rugby or Ireland when there is an issue or when Ireland have played poorly. They're not afraid to look at that and assess it rationally. But I found with with Virgin. Um, that some of their coverage, and this is a, this is the stuff that's gone far and wide, has kind of verged into that sort of like bubble wrap coverage. I find which we've often seen with, with Leinster rugby over the last two years, we'll say, and, and Matt Williams involved as well, and Rob Carney certainly since he's gotten involved, and sometimes Shane Horgan too. Like their panel, I think it certainly missed Andrew Trimble. As the, as the the as their their tournament wore on, um, I think that Shane Horgan and, and Rob Carney and Matt Williams can sometimes be, they can drag each other down. And I've been on panels and I've been on on podcasts and I've been in situations like that where the atmosphere in the room or the atmosphere in the conversation, it, it can circle down very very quickly if somebody starts whinging and moaning. And I think that a lot of what Matt Williams has become, not not I won't say famous for, but a lot of what his opinion has has gone so far in this World Cup is because it's whinging, it's complaining. It's complaining about how, oh, you know, South Africa picked seven forwards and one back on the bench. It's against the spirit of the game. Um, Go on about the scrum. Oh, it shouldn't be important. And back in Randwick in the fucking 1980s or whatever it was, it was this, that and the other. Like, first of all, look, it's 2023. Nobody cares what happened in Australia in 1980, except me when I'm thinking about home and away. What happened in Randwick in that time when Matt Williams was there is of no consequence to anybody, really, bar, bar Matt Williams and his memories. So looking at, at, at that as being one of the core points of, of this discussion, to me is, 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 is just, again, not, I can't believe I'm listening to this. And, and that's kind of the, the, the big thing is because when this goes out there, and I think one of the, one of the things that bugged me as well was Rob Carney speaking about... Um, oh, it's like the game shouldn't be like decided on power, right? As if Ireland don't have one of the most powerful fucking front rows in the world 
outside the scrum. Like it's just it's just this weird and, and we, we we've seen this before, not necessarily on Virgin Media, but we've seen it when things aren't going well for a Southern Hemisphere team, that whatever rule they don't like shouldn't exist. <laughs> Right, so if they're getting pumped up in the fucking mall, or they're getting pumped up at the, at the lineout, we need to get rid of that. Like the ELVs in the in the late two thousands, whatever they don't like and whatever is hurting them, they want out of the game. And like when when the the conversation turned around to like the scrum shouldn't decide a game like that. Like I think that one of the beauties of rugby union is that it can decide a game. Because if it's a case that the scrum, as as was suggested in this conversation, which I'll move on to the next part of it now, like about the scrum itself, like do I think it should be worth three points? Yeah, I absolutely do. And look, yeah, look, there's there's difficulties in place. And 100%, I would stop the clock while they're scrummaging. That the ball only starts once they leave. Because I do feel that the scrum sometimes is a vehicle for cheesing the clock. And that's 100% true. But when I look at how um, the that the actual set piece should be a core part of the game and why it should remain a, a, a vehicle for three points if you can earn them. And while I also accept it's a difficult set piece to referee because there's literally, there is so much bullshit going on in the scrum. Like where, like like the, the scrum penalty Ireland bought against the Springboks by actively not scrummaging, right? I would take that, even with everything that comes with it, because it gives you a way to compress forwards. It gives you a way to prevent literally just having another three flankers on the field and allow you to play with more space and more compression. I've had people say, well, look, you can keep the scrum as a set piece. You can keep it as a thing that'll generate a penalty, but you just can't kick at the goal, right? To me, that is essentially, well, get rid of it then. Because if that was the case, the only thing that becomes important in that case is the line-out or, the, or, or the, 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 the tap and go, we'll say. So if it's a case that you can't kick for three points after a scrum penalty, what does that mean? Well, anything that you'd be looking to try to get um, from the referee means a line-out, right? Because you're, you're going to try to maul that. So say you're behind by two points, right, coming into the last three minutes you have a scrum, somebody knocks on, right? So what can the opposition do from there? Say it's around a 22. Can they kick for goal? No, there's no point. Well, we can't do that. So what do we have to do? We have to kick it into the corner. So why would you bother having a 125 kg scrummager? We'll say like a Franz Malherbe. What's the point in him as a player in that environment? What's the point in Ox and Che? Because he's five foot eight, right? He's five eight in his fucking studs. Like he's a small guy, but he is wide. He's an excellent scrummager. Now he's a good ball carrier in the wide areas, but what use is he in a lineout? Right? He's not like and, and this is this is the thing. Like part of the reason why I don't think he's a core sixty minute starter for um for the Springboks is because he isn't going to be the best lineout lifter because he is a short guy. But in the condensed moments of the last 20 minutes of the game or the last 30 minutes of the game, the scrum can be massively important there. So that's why they will use him on the bench. But if it's a case that the scrum doesn't generate penalties, it only generates a line out, 
why would you have and why would like you wouldn't there'd be no focus for you and there'd be no reward for you to pick somebody in the front row that was under 6-3 like why would you like it would essentially mean we'll just pick maybe three guys maybe one of those would essentially be another lock then you'd have a guy where you'd be essentially another number eight and then you're probably talking about you know a guy who'd be I mean maybe two guys who'd be essentially be number eights as in from a traditional profile standpoint where they might be six foot three six foot four with maybe a guy who's six foot five at tight head but knowing that regardless that you know what if you go forward great because if we lose we'll be defending a, a line out so we'll need a lot of tall people for that or if we win a penalty we'll be playing off a line out so we need tall people for that so it basically means that your your the focus of your set piece then just goes all in in the line out and as a result that means you're selecting for a certain profile of player which means that there's no need for a six foot tall 130 kg guy to be a tight head you don't need that anymore you need a guy who could maybe even jump in the line out because if the scrum isn't really that important if all it means is oh well either a defensive or an offensive line out then do you know what i mean like so the jeopardy goes so you can start picking on well do you know what we we, we can't lose a game because of the scrum we can lose a game because of our line out right but the scrum now is a minor thing and that's kind of when i look at the at the, the thought process around that that's what i see is in that we'll just end up in a game that has less space that has less variety in in the people who are playing it but as a result i think it would it would, it would, it would like in essence lead to down the road well we just need to get rid of some of the players off the field and at that point we're kind of playing league like the scrum and i and i fully get this as well that some of the coverage around scrums and some of the actual way that scrums have been refereed like it takes away the spectacle right because you're looking at fellas dropping and then there's resets and then somebody gets a penalty but nobody knows why and like that that in part is because of how scrums are spoken about as the game is going on right so like you'll often hear commentary the minute there's a scrum there's groaning or there's moaning from the likes of do you know who's that fucking guy used to play for Leicester annoying on BT Sports can't think of his name but you see him whinging and moaning if there's a scrum and if there's a reset they're like ah get on with it and all this other stuff and it's like that kind of takes away from it because it, it immediately portrays it to the casual audience that what you're looking at here is boring but for me in the scrum like it's an opportunity for massive physical confrontation where you have like these big powerful heavy guys who are just fucking smashing into each other they're trying to get an advantage they're trying to shove the other team through they're trying to drive over the top of them while the other team are trying to do the same to them and it also compresses all of these big guys into one space where you can launch into all of this extra space that's there and like yeah look when resets are there it's it's annoying and part of that's because of safety right but what i like about the potential of the scrum in the modern game is the spectacle for it to be such a gladiatorial confrontation like for me what i like about the game isn't necessarily highlight real like lovely offload fucking fabulous like I, that like that to me that's only part of the game that's not the be all and end all of the game for me what i like to see is that like i like to see physical confrontation aggression i like to see guys driving over the opposition i like to see them dominating 
this is what I like like one of the one of the best clips that I remember putting up in the early days of Three Red Kings was during the Axel game at um you know in, in Tolman Park against Glasgow Munster had just gone down to I'm even getting fucking goose pimples now thinking about it that um Munster just gone down to 14 men after Keith Earls got a, had got a, um, a red card and we had a scrum and I think it was against the head I think it was no no it actually, it actually wasn't it, it, it was I think it was a Munster put in but I remember Dave Kilcoyne Niall Scannell and John Ryan absolutely fucking pumped Glasgow into scrum and drove them back over Munster won a huge penalty the crowd went ballistic and I just thinking like and, and because I think it was Mark Robson was, was on the mic that day he was just like it's a beast of a scrum an absolute beast and I just remember that so viscerally and like that's what the scrum is for me an opportunity for you to dominate the opposition or to be dominated like yourself and that's what the jeopardy of it is and like in that game on Saturday now again look I was three or four points in but I was telling herself, like when Oxen Che came on, this guy's gonna fucking change the game because he's an unbelievable scrummager. And like when you're looking at the game and you're looking at the, the stakes, like where the clock is ticking down, one team is winning narrowly, the other team is trying to chase down the lead, the weather conditions are shit, there's it's drama and the high stakes, and that's what I love about the scrum, in that South Africa had a tough time getting through England because of England's style, right? I'll get to that in a minute. That's one of the questions coming up in a minute. But they were able to work around that by the power of their scrum. And that, to me, is what the game is all about. Finding different ways to win that aren't just, what if we ran a fucking offload party from our own five-meter line and scored an all-time an all-time great highlight real try? That's fine. But I think that there's has to be a place in this game as well for the variety that the scrum brings because if we take that out and remove it even as a thing where you can kick your points off it that then takes us closer to a game that ultimately I think that we don't like it's like the, it's like the kid who only wants to eat sweets all the time he's like eat sweets all the time if you want but you won't be any better off for it and I think that's what we're talking about with, with the game here as it is and I just think that the scrum is too important to depower and, and like and this is coming from a guy who in the last couple of years was speaking about how the scrum doesn't really matter like and to an, to an, like to an extent it doesn't up until it does but we've seen even this year how when the big games come around and when the margins start getting very small there's the like this is where the scrum becomes really important when there's two really big teams who are kind of who are going at each other and the margins are so small this is where that opportunity to kick three points that's where it's so vital or where you get an opportunity to kick down the line which you can do as well obviously um that's why i think that the scrum i think it could do with getting more of a focus to be honest because i think it brings in a lot of what world rugby actually want in the game which is a safer game which you might think well scrummaging is dangerous it is but when you look at the like the 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 added benefits it brings to the game the space it opens up the players it requires who have to be of a certain weight to play it at the elite level that creates opportunities for teams to attack and i think that balance in the game i think with the scrum at the core of it i think that's probably a good place to start to get a game that is sustainable in the long term i think so um, I do also want to get to some other questions on this podcast, so I'll do that now. This one is from uh, D. Finn in uh, the TRK mailbag. Um, this might be more of a PSOM mailbag question. We don't have a mailbag on PSOM. <laughs> well, we do, but we've never ever used it. Um, 
But on the latest pod, you all agreed Munster are tier, a tier two side when it comes to winning in Europe. What or who do you think is needed to get them to tier one? Yeah, no, I've had a few questions about that as well, about what I mean by tier two. This isn't necessarily in the in the tier one, tier two that we look at in test level. I just look at the teams at the moment that are kind of unquestionably, I would say, at the top tier of, of Europe. And I would put Leinster, La Rochelle and Toulouse as the main trio in that tier one bracket as of as of last season who knows what'll happen this season there's a lot of water to go under the bridge but that was certainly the hierarchy last year and i would say over the last two years as well when you look at where munster fall in that i would think munster are in that maybe tier two bracket where there are a number of teams who i would say who are in that bracket where you know you're talking about how they're certainly good enough to beat most other teams on their day um and certainly good enough to put away the majority of the sort of the lower level teams um but you know who will fall short against the, the 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 those three tier one teams more often than not. I would put ourselves, uh, Munster. I would put the um, kind of the prime sharks once they have all their their spring box back in. I would put them in that conversation as well. Um, uh, you know, would Ulster be? In, I'm not sure if Ulster would be in there yet. I, I actually don't think they would. I may, maybe they might, might be in that third tier. At just uh, just based on last year now, um, I'd say you're looking at. Saracens might still be there. Might Saracens might be in that bracket as well of of, of a tier two side who could be de- de- described in that way. Um, and there's a couple of other teams as well who who are there thereabouts. But like to get up to that next level, like it's a fairly nebulous thing because like there are a number of different ways you could go about it. Now, one of the things I've been looking at certainly in the last couple of weeks is speaking about the importance of of play style and your team style overall and how that is the most important thing in this game rather than individuals and any one individual I mean bar certain players aren't going to move you up a tier more or less now when I've spoken there we've said that um, the front row is probably the area where there's the most um, scope I would say to move up to that next level and like you even even with that you'd go well how does picking some guy or signing a guy who is only going to play maybe what 50 60 minutes of a game or maybe less if he's coming off the bench how is that guy going to move you up a level in europe and like when i say upscale them there is a net like there is an element of that where the guys who were already at the club improve over time so like when Leinster will say ascended to being that tier one level team, like that in part came because like Tyg Furlong kind of matured into being the best tight head in the world at that time for me. Um, Andrew Porter came up as his backup as well, which meant that they had an outstanding front five, both starting and finishing. Keane Healy came back after an injury where you know he was looked like he was going to retire for a while and you know like Jack McGrath had done so well to replace him so they had Keane Healy and Jack McGrath there for a while um as well as having like you know Sean Cronin as a hooker who had like a really great usage at that time like he was a, a kind of a he was like a strike wing forward but like a, as a hooker which again is, is is a legit role set for them um they just had a really good front five overall but you look at James Ryan coming in as well at that time you know you add Scott Fardy into the mix there as well Devin Toner really experienced player you know it all kind of came together for them in that area of the field I do I do think the front five is very very important in that area but it also it reflects 
the modern style of the game as well so like there's there are trends that change in the game that reflects what are required from certain units in the team so like i think at the moment we'll have to wait and see how the how the year plays out but i think looking at last year how well monster did towards the end of the season without necessarily having a big massive power carrier in the um in in the front row because like i mean we, we didn't really like i think that in itself adds a bit more context to well what we know works and then signing a guy to enhance what we know works like for example if you read my offensive rock work article this week um you would have seen again massive breakdown numbers from steven archer in a game where munster played pretty well so what do we want from our front row right now again if you i think i answered partly in this on the trk mailbag channel which by the way if you want to send in a question to the trk mailbag get onto the trk mailbag channel in the, in the discord um which you, you're already you can, you can be a member of right now just go and click on your tier benefits you can get straight in there um i answered part of the question was i thought it was the front row was the area where we need to expand then you asked whether it was loose head hooker or, or tight head now hooker i think you could say that it's an easier place to spend money, right? I I think when you look at um, what is, you know, you look at the impact that Dan Sheehan has had. You look at the impact that Ronan Kelleher has had. Um, you know, two really good players for Leinster and Ireland, right? You look at Malcolm Marks, a guy, a world class player who would enhance any team. That his scrummaging, his lineouts really good, his power on the field is unmatched. That immediately upscales your front five guys like that okay and it's it's an easier position to sign guys in because it's more predictable right so like you can go and sign Franz Malherbe okay like I'm not I'm not saying the monster are going to sign Franz Malherbe but you can go and sign Franz Malherbe and you get benefits straight away of, of signing a guy like that but it's like are you going to get the tangible benefits that you would get from a Malcolm Marks like are you going to are you going to see a guy who's going to score tries win breakdown turnovers x y and z i'm not sure right and that's the thing with signing a prop in that if the guy you're signing isn't a big power ball carrier it can kind of look like well what are we spending our money on here because the money that you'd spend on props isn't necessarily as as high as what it would have been 10 years ago but it's still fairly high and if you're going to be signing somebody in the in the market after a world cup like you're going to be spending money right so it's like that's like there's no way around that so if if you're monster you kind of look at what's working for you at the moment and then look to try to enhance that while also looking at what you've got in your squad as is so for me that would be looking at you know the likes of um john ryan and stephen archer who are the senior guys at the moment in in the squad who i would expect certainly for the early going of the season to be playing the majority of the rugby as number three and number 18 alternating you'll see john ryan start one stephen archer finish and vice versa um that's because roman Selano is injured he would be playing i think if he wasn't i think well, he would be playing if he was if he was fit which he isn't so when you look at um keenan knox i think he is in a position at the moment in a contract year where needs to start showing something needs to be playing games needs to force himself into the team and at this stage you go well look what about an opportunity he's had a lot of niggles and a lot of knocks and like he just needs to fight his way into the team and you do that in training you do that in the opportunities you might get in the AIL 
Um, and that's kind of where you're at. And if you're if you're a guy who's got, hasn't hasn't had a whole load of minutes, you need to be fucking bombing it in training. You need to be killing guys there in the gym, on the field, in those scrummaging sessions. That you need to be in that team. And it's almost like a fucking mindset thing as well, where you're going to be a, a killer there. You're going to be a guy who like guys don't want to fuck with you in training. You're not a nice guy in training. You're you're not a nice guy in the gym. That's the kind of thing that you're looking for if you're trying to force your way into the team to kind of show the coaches that look, you're you want to fucking fight here, you know? You, you're and like you're here to fight. So like I I think with um, you know how how we 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 look at that and go like a young player, but like needs to force himself in there as well. Um, so like I I would say that that's something that I I wouldn't look at it and say for certain that well he yeah well he's going to come in and have a breakout season this year. I can't say that for certain. He needs to force that. So that's going to be the, the the interesting thing for me to see this season. Now, we have signed in Ronan Fox into the academy on the tight head side um, just recently. he's He's gone into the academy. He is uh, from the Irish under-20 team. He came up through the Leinster system. He was playing with Old Belvedere in uh, Division 1B last season. Um, a good prop. And like... I, not, not not that I slept in him last year, but I just kind of noticed when I was putting my team sheets together last season for the AIL, he just kept showing up. Like, Ronan Fox, Ronan Fox, Ronan Fox. Because, again, it, it seemed like a sort of like a Ronan Fox. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It seemed like a sort of a, a kind of a made-up rugby name. But, like, he was... Um, he just kept playing. And then I realised, oh, fuck it, he's only... He's just, like, recently out of school. And when he showed up then playing for the Irish in their 20s, he came on, I think, for... For Paddy McCarthy, because I think Paddy McCarthy was playing tight head initially, but then Ronan Fox came in, and it stuck out straight away just how fucking solid he was. A big, solid, big fucking big arse prop, and looked really, really handy. And, like, Scrum, when he came on, looked really settled. And that's straight away, even at underage level, and you could see this when you're seeing the highlights for in 1B as well. And, like... You look at it and you go, fuck it, that's a decent player. And when I saw over the summer that he wasn't picked up into the Leinster Academy, I was just like, I was a little bit a little bit surprised. Now, he doesn't really fit the profile of fellas that they've tended to get in. Like, they've got Rory Maguire there at the moment as a tight head. He came in into their year one last season. He's just a colossal man. I think he's like 6'4", six, six, something, something big, ridiculous like that. A bit like Ben Griffin as well. He was a fellow who they were looking at and he was in that NTS or he was in the sub-academy style system that they have there as well for a bit. Again, big, just a big guy. Um, He was playing with Clontarf, I think it was. And I, Maguire, was it with Trinity? I'm not sure. One of the two anyway. Trinity or UCD. So one of the three. Um... And I remember looking at him and, and thinking, gee, like, that's the sort of kind of profile guys they're looking for. Now, they were raw in a, lot of, in a lot of areas of their game, but the size and power was there. Now, Ben Griffin's ended up getting a development deal up at Ulster because um, he just, it never really broke through for him at um, at Leinster. Maguire came off the bench last year, last week against Glasgow. If this is, I'm doing this in in between rounds one and two of the URC if you're listening to this uh, later on in the, in, in the month. Um, and he looked actually pretty good off the bench and again good size and weirdly enough actually he uh, was born in the USA in Chicago and you know remember Home Alone remember the big houses in Home Alone I think he was actually he grew up on that street right <laughs> because I heard that randomly when he got into the when he got into the um, into the Leinster Academy and I remember thinking I've got to remember that um, but yeah no he is um, yeah but he's a, a big guy great size 
Um, but when you look at Ronan Fox, he's not that. He's not that big. Like he's not a you know six foot three, six foot four guy. He's not a a, a massive power ball carrier. But he's a really good scrummager, and he's got good instincts around the like the offensive breakdown. A good defender. He's solid in defense as well. He's a solid carry of the ball as well because he's a big heavy guy. He's well over one twenty kg. Um, but he's a very solid scrummager. And himself and Max Klein, and uh, who's also in the academy, I'll speak about him on a different podcast, um, and George Haddon are all going to be playing for Gary Owen in 1B this year. So they're all going to be in the same front row. Um, so, like, that's what we have on the tight head side, right? So you might say, like, looking at our loose head side, that, well, Kilcoyne is off contract this year. Um, uh, Jeremy Lockman is also off contract, but again, I would, I, I, I don't think he'll be released like I mean I think they'll make a decision between Kilcoyne and Lockman this year um, then you're looking at Josh Witcherly obviously who I think is the, going to be the guy they're going to base most of the game on going forward and then you've lots of young players like you know Donnelly Kieran Ryan you've got George Haddon there as well these are all guys that are going to they're going to be I'd say competing against so I'm looking at well can you get Malcolm Marks at hooker he's injured first of all so I mean Probably not. I think he signed a new deal with, with, with in Japan anyway. So if we take that off the table, if the easiest place to upscale is the hooker, and again, I, I think that it, that might be a mistake, although you could make a, 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 an argument as well that Dearman Barron is the number one guy there for me right now. I think he's a fabulous player. I think he's really developing. You've got Niall Scannell there for the next year as well, who is, look, has flaws in his game for sure, but is a solid option there. You've a couple of young guys in Scott Buckley and Max Klein and Chris Moore um, who are pushing and they're pushing for that third, you know, that third or second in the chart spot, depending on injuries, and there always will be a hooker. And you might say, well, look, if you bring in a top class hooker there, that that helps the likes of Scott Buckley, you could say. It could help the likes, like, the likes of Chris Moore to a certain extent. Like, obviously, it would mean that their playing opportunities will be less, but they're younger players and they get to work with a top class guy. I mean that that would be the pitch um, but what else are you getting like it helps you on field to a certain extent but I think for me the the place where if you were going to spend money I think that there's space to do it on the tight head side for Munster so like both nationally like nationally from, from a, a, a permission perspective you're probably looking at hooker would be easy to get permission for and tighthead would be easy to get permission for because again look there are so many hookers at Ireland like I think even because with, with, with Sheehan likely to get a central contract this year um, Ronan Kelleher's there well, there as well obviously a class player um, you have Rob Herring is still knocking around you have um, Tom Stewart who's performing really well as well then you have Dermot Barron down the chart there too I think that they they have guys there so if you wanted to bring in that player you could make that pitch but, like, I think that you'd be better off spending the money that you would be looking to spend on a tight head. I think the permission is there to get it. Because if you look at Al Alatoa this year, probably going to be leaving Leinster, which will open up space nationally. Not that that's a hard and fast rule, but, you know, it, 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 it has affected other signings before. So you look at that and you go, if we sign a tight head nationally, who will be blocking? Right? Not John Ryan, not Stephen Archer. Roman Salanoa wasn't brought into camp. I, I know he was hurt, but like 
and plus as well it's not like he won't ever play Keenan Knox isn't on the radar for Ireland um, guys like McSweeney are very young Ronan Fox are, they're quite young as well so they're not going to be breaking through like in the next season or so and would they benefit working with an elite tight head yeah they probably would and also would it also benefit a lot of the young loose heads that we have as well to be scrummaging and dealing with an elite tight head as well from a scrummaging perspective can we make that a point of focus because if you look at the guys that we have in the academy from a loose head perspective none of them are really that sort of like Andrew Porter you know tighten around the field and kind of you know like not a washout in the scrum but like is in the scrum is kind of something that you have to get out of the way and you look at Leinster they have Jack Boyle they have Paddy McCarthy guys who are like that on the loose head side what if you go hard looking for a scrummager who can help to improve these young guys on the loose head side as well as well as doing that on the tight head side can you then use that to scale you up to the next level as we were speaking about to tier one or like to, to get yourself into a position where you can maybe win in Europe I think it's a possibility um, and it comes down to like would it be affordable yeah would it be possible to get dispensation for it I would say so just given that you've got Furlong on a central contract deal that he's just gone on to this summer so again there's no negotiation that you've got to try to you know we can't pump up Furlong's wages by signing in a non-Irish qualified guy you know because that like that happens you sign in a non-Irish qualified guy and um, on you know 600k for example and then Tyke Furlong is negotiating his contract and he wants to be paid more than him you're kind of you've upped your you've upped your own wage bill there <laughs> you know so like with, with that central contract done and you have Finley Beelham there as well who's on contract as well you know he's settled into that spot behind Furlong you have Tom O'Toole as the guy that they've been using behind him you could make an argument that look there's space in Munster to bring a guy in like that and I would look at that as being an area where if you can bring in an elite tight head and maybe up Munster Scrum from being something where we are we have parity with mostly everybody to being something that we're dominating like you know a lot of a lot of teams that's something I think that you could add well that bumps Munster up to the next level again so that, that could be something that we could look at um, but as well as that it just means like developing our, our options as well and, and you know being smart when it comes to our getting in the right player who fits our style of play rather than being who's the best tight head in the world and then looking at you know sports Joe <laughs> and seeing who they've ranked as number one or whatever you just you just go and you pick somebody who fits your style and who will give you what you want from a developmental purpose as well because it's not just about signing the big name it's about like does he fit our system and with that you can start to you can start to, to work and, uh, you know, get somebody in who actually improves you rather than just makes you look like a team who can win, but who never does. Um, this one is from Mike. Hi, Tom. Simple question for you. Who in their prime was or is a better line-out jumper, Paul O'Connell or Peter Romani? It's Peter Romani. <laughs> it's Peter Romani. Um, he is so explosive in the air at 6'2", 6'3" that he's just a better line-out jumper. Like, Paul O'Connell was a really great tactician in the line-out. Um, as a caller himself, as a guy who understood when not to call on himself as well, but his ability to go up and get the ball was was, was pretty good. And, like, again, at the time, the line-out was still developing as a set-piece, um, and he was one of the best guys in the game at it, on both sides of the ball, actually. 
But Peter Romani, for me, in being around, what, around four inches shorter than O'Connell, can get every bit as high much quicker and is a, just a nightmare on either side of the ball. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that he does. Um, so for me, that's a fairly straightforward answer, um, is uh, Peter Romani, for sure. Eric's Ghost asks... Um, who do you see as the most likely replacement for Peter Romani at Ireland and Munster? Will Tygburn transition fully to uh, a six and will play another second row besides Ryan for Ireland and Clane for Munster? Um, possibly. Like, it depends on like what you mean by replacing. From a sort of a role-build perspective, you can scheme around it. You can get a different type of, of look there. I mean, you'd be looking to replace basically a kind of a, a, a combo flanker um, who gives you edge forward speciality with a massive line out focus they're the combo of things that he does and when you look at that's why he's a combo flanker because it's a combination of two real big strengths and ma- like missing we'll say being a massive power ball carrier we'll say because if again if you look at a general back row there's a couple of guys who might be you know powerful ball carriers but they don't do something else there's generally two things that they do really good that's why i call them combo flankers he is a combo of an outstanding line out forward on both sides of the ball with an and he gives you an edge forward role set as well so his breakdown work in the wider channels in general is really good and um, so like they're the, they're the combination of things he does really well you could you could select like there, there are combo flankers like you could select like Kalen Doris for example would do a lot of the same things without the line out his line out is not as good so straight away you would say well look well Kalen Doris could replace him in theory in the number six jersey if we just wanted to look at that but you'd have to make a change at what you're selecting at seven and what you're selecting at eight to round out your line out options now you could say move Ty Byrne back into the back row you could say yes now that also at the same time slows down certain aspects of Ireland's play which again look it's not by much Tyburn is not a slow player by any means but it does change up aspects of that game so you might go well we need to change up what we're doing at number eight or you know maybe maybe, maybe it means a wider change in style which might be coming anyway um a lot of it a lot of it will depend on what type of concept we're playing after the world cup like if if we're going to be playing as much heavy counter transition as what we were doing at the world cup you'll need to go with somebody who like they may look to go well maybe we can do without the line out maybe we can go and maybe maybe select somebody like Ryan Baird maybe maybe we can like put him in because he's a good line out forward maybe we, we might lose some of the accuracy at the breakdown some of the other stuff but we'll you know we'll, we'll, we'll work that out elsewhere like at Ireland I think it's it's complex at, at Munster I think um, do you know I, I think they'll I think what Munster will ultimately do is um, Gavin Coombs is going to be taking over a lot of those line-out looks from, like, we'll say as a secondary jumper um, with a lot of targeting going to the likes of, you know, Ahern maybe or Witcherly or whichever one of Snayman and Clayne we keep because I think it's going to only going to be one um, with uh, Coombs essentially operating as a half-lock power forward. That'll give us options at six and seven, you know, to go with different type of um, different types of players there. Um, but yeah, well, I think with Omani, like, is in you, for both Ireland and Munster, we won't know properly what we had there until it's not there anymore because he is a great player, one of the great players. Um, certainly at test level as well. You look at that and you'll go, "Geez, there's lots of guys who thought Peter Omani was a, a joker who are going to get fucking as some land when he's not playing for Ireland anymore." Um, because so much of what he does 
frees up other guys to be to play their natural game and when they have to compensate for some of the stuff that has to be brought in the back five I think you'll find players maybe not looking as spectacular or certain guys might all of a sudden be considered luxury players um, as a result. So we'll wait and see how that goes. But um, yeah, it's going to be a difficult job to replace him anyway, regardless. So thank you very much for your questions. I've got a whole bunch more that I'm going to keep doing in the next couple of days because I'm not going to be stepping outside the house. So um, I'll have them scheduled to go up over the next couple of days as well. If you have any questions you'd like to send in for future TRK mailbags, you can send them at info at TRKings.com. You can go to the TRK mailbag channel on the TRK Secret Club or you can send me a message on Patreon as well if you wish. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.